Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It's good to be with you again. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com, for more information about our work, including that of CFS Financial. CFS Financial is a full-service consulting firm we work with nonprofits all over the United States on matters like debt resolution, strategic planning, and the like, board governance and polity, and uh, all things related to debt and financial performance. We do a debt mitigation where we intervene on behalf of your organization uh, with your financial institution. We find replacement debt sometimes. And our, our focus, though, is not on individuals. We don't do any kind of individual financial advising. It is all organizations, uh, nonprofits, typically Christian nonprofits, sometimes Christian schools, sometimes churches, parachurch ministries, and others. We would be delighted whether we have worked with some for profit companies, but our focus is on these ministry related nonprofits, and we'd be happy to work with you regardless. So, uh, please uh, let me know if um, uh, through our contact form on the website if we may serve you. You can also uh, send along a comment about the podcast. You can use our contact form there for that as well. Or you can send an email directly to me on either subject, the podcast or CFS Financial. You can reach me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. I say this often, but your notes are encouraging your emails are encouraging. There's a gentleman in Australia who wrote oh, once or twice who, who I just found so at a time when I really needed to, to be encouraged with the reach of this, this work. So there's a lot going on in the world, and it, it, is, it is really tempting for me to, to talk about all of that and all of the, the posturing around Israel and all the rest. But I but I want to talk about a, a perhaps a, a more profound, applicable um, subject, and and that is I, I I am fascinated with the word knowledge, specifically in the context of the knowledge of God, and and I I mean that when I say it uh, two two different ways. The obvious two ways: uh, one is God's knowledge, God's omniscience. And then the other is our knowledge of God, our knowing God. You probably have heard of a, a book by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. So we're not, th this isn't that sort of discussion per se, but I think that's, that's part of it as we talk about the knowledge of God. It's really interesting. There, there are several in scripture, there are several words that get translated into English, know, or some form of that word like knowledge. And there, there are several, maybe five or six in the New Testament. And then 
there there are just a, a few in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, there's there's really there there are really two words, two root words that are used often. One is I'm going to just do the English pronunciation as it's written, Ido, E-I-D-O, which is kind of the weakest form of the word to know, the weaker form of, of these words to, that are translated know or to know or knowledge. And that has the idea of just perceiving or see with the eye, seeing with the eyes, I can see that that flower is red and so on. And then, then there's a stronger word, gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. You're familiar with the word Gnostic or gnosko, G-I-N-O-S-K-O, that, that's to know something well or with understanding. And then there's a stronger form of that word with, with the prefix epi, E-P-I, epignosis or epignosko, uh, which has the idea of knowing thoroughly or intensely with discernment. Sometimes price, precise and correct knowledge and wisdom. So, so we've got Ido, Gnosis, and Epignosis. And the, the word often translated knowledge in scripture is, is Epignosis. And it, and it simply means uh, precise and correct knowledge with discernment and wisdom. So, it, you know, you don't, I mean, in most translations of scripture, most good ones like the English standard version, the one I'm really comfortable with, you just don't get that little bit of nuance and we'll talk more about that it what's what's really interesting though to me and i'm i'm certainly no language expert there are plenty of those people who i know and respect and uh, in, enjoy every opportunity i have to talk with them but in in hebrew in the old testament it's really interesting the most common word that i find for that is translated to know is the word Yada, the Hebrew word Y-A-D-A. And I've been told that this is the, the origin of the Yiddish expression yada, yada, or yada, 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 that the comedian Lenny Bruce started uh, years ago, I think. I think it was Lenny Bruce. And it, it was later used on Seinfeld by various of those people, especially Jason Alexander's uh, character, George Costanza. It's a, it's kind of an expression. It, it mean, it literally means I know, I know, or to know and to know, but it's sort of an expression for, yeah, right. I know or whatever. And, and so, um, I find that interesting, but the, the, the point here is that Hebrew is, is really interesting. I, when I think of it and my language friends are going to cringe when they hear me say this, but my ancient language friends, but, but Hebrew is kind of like snapshots that you have to sort of put together you have to sort of figure out when when this this word yada based on its context which which of the you know how what what does what does it mean what is the magnitude of knowing that it's talking about whereas in 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 greek it's more like watching a movie where that's kind of spelled out for you based on the word so so hebrew to english is is a a little more similar we just use the word to know um and but the greek is is more detailed and i think that benefits us as we study this 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 entire topic is is epistemology it's the philosophical study of the nature origin and limits of of knowledge that of knowing of 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 reason it's a combination of 
uh, two words, knowledge and reason. And accordingly, it's sometimes called the theory of, of knowledge. It's, it's really interesting to me to study the topic of, of knowing. And I don't want to have this esoteric monologue today on all the implications of this, the, the metaphysical implications and so on. But most agree, most people agree that knowing another person, developing a friendship, developing a real relationship requires knowing about that person and then getting to know their interests and identifying with their concerns, their challenges, and their, their issues. Now, I, I get to spend a lot of time, as you know, if you're a regular listener of Relentless Truth, with high school 11th and 12th graders. I have 104 students in my classes this year. I teach U.S. government in the first semester economics and the second semester, both honors level. And then I teach an ethics class this year for both semesters, also an honors level course. And I get to spend a lot of time with 11th and 12th graders. And I've been in this setting. I, I was an adjunct at a, a big university in Orlando uh, called uh, University of Central Florida before that in finance. It's fa fairly narrowly focused, but but now I get to spend uh, lots of time and, and have done so for 10 years with with these high school 11th and 12th graders. And it, it's interesting to observe their, observe their lives. Now, I, I, I don't really, because of the way we're formatted, it's, a, it's kind of a university model with block scheduling. So we're not in the class uh, for, for a ton of time, but, but I do over the course of a full school year, kind of get to know them. And some over the years, you can imagine, as you would imagine, I've had siblings uh, from, from one family, as many as three or four, and over the years and and i kind of get to know the family in most cases I, I i i might meet the mom and uh, or or maybe might have occasion to meet both at, at a function or something but for the most part i don't even meet them and i know a lot about them from having their their young people in in my classes but what's really interesting about this knowing another person is i get to see their friendships their friend groups and I, I really, again, don't understand all that perfectly. I'm not with them. You know, it's not like I'm a coach and I'm with them in a bunch of their, uh, for their, for a, a lot of their free time. But, but I do kind of get to know them and I, I know a little bit about them socially. And, and what's interesting is, is some of them, and you, some, some I'm just not aware of because they're just not open about these things. You just can't tell. But with others, they, you, you can tell they sort of have a boyfriend or girlfriend and they, and they have a something of a relationship. And what's, what's funny is sometimes they'll declare their love for that person somehow in some way. And it, it, what's interesting about this is sometimes, I, I mean, in a few cases, those couples from high school who might have even been couples back in middle school or earlier have gone on to get married. When you, when you teach at the same place for 10 years, you, you get to see them kind of grow up. And others, interestingly, realized that, well, you know, we weren't good fits at all. Uh, we, we dated a little, and as we got to know each other, we realized that this, this probably isn't a, a permanent, you know, we'll go on to be friends or, or sometimes not. But th this thing of knowing each other is really curious. And I'm, I thought about the, the notion of young married couples. This is, this is really tricky because as you think you know each other and you 
you experience life together, you, you really, in the initial years of marriage, no matter how much you dated, uh, you, you really are really still getting to know each other. Uh, some people are just better at that than others, at really being serious and getting to know each other. But you really don't know the other person well, and it takes years of marriage to, to kind of see this, but you don't know each other well until, until you've been married for a few years. And in any case, we, we, we all have the, the desire, psychologists tell us, to, to know and to be known. There's been a lot of study on this. There's a lot of research. A lot of books have been written. Even in Christian, uh, Christian contexts, there have been a lot of uh, books written on this knowing and, and being known and personhood and the like. You remember the old Cheers song where everybody knows your name. I, I don't know what the song's called, but it's got that line in it, that kind of that tagline for that show. There, there's a, a, a candid, candid media people, news, even news anchors and actors and, and sometimes even politicians will acknowledge that, that fame or, or being known is actually one of the appeals. It's also a downside. But, it, but it's one of the appeals of their vocation, something that draws some people into that work. It's, it's often true of them, even, even business news personalities. Sometimes they like the, the notoriety. Uh, so we, we as humans, uh, as all humans, often use this, this being known as a supplement for a God-given need. We have... Even us introverts have a need for for community, for interfacing with other people. Now, now some people are hungrier or, or or needier, if I may call it that, than others to to be known broadly. Some social media kind of brings this out, doesn't it? You can you can see that you know some people are kind of grade or rank each other based on the number of followers. I find that really curious or, or likes for a particular post. Anytime I have a marketing company that sort of does some kind of pitch to me, it's, it's all how many followers and how many clicks and how many likes and all of those things. And, and I really don't care about that. I, I, I'd like the entire world to listen to relentless truth and the, the gospel that when the good practical advice that we talk about, but I'm not frantically keeping score and and living kind of by the ups and downs of a poll or or data uh, to de- to determine uh, how we're doing, but there there are people who do, and there, there's this you're familiar with this notion of a of a social media influencer. Well, uh, uh, you know I'm not sure what that is exactly, but it's somebody who has lots of followers, and we've had some of our students over the years who've who've built huge followings, and nothing wrong with that if you're using it for the right right purposes. Well, we, we have interesting thoughts though, just, just to say it on knowledge and being known and, and on, on God's knowledge and, and knowing him, which is our, our subject today. We, we tend to think that he thinks like we do, or that he has just a bit more knowledge than everyone else. We talked about this notion of anthropomorphism this, this, this describing God in human terms. Well, we do this with knowledge too. We, we kind of, I'll just, I'll just confess this. I sort of think of God as having some sort of supercomputer 
but we don't think of his knowledge as supremely awesome as as it is. It, it really should give us tremendous comfort when we think about God's knowledge and, and his other attributes correctly. You know, he, he first loved us. He, th- th- this, is, this is really, if I, can, if I can just get this truth out uh, without confusing it with my poor use of language, I, I think you'll be amazed at, at just this principle. You know, he, he first loved us. We know that. We love because he first loved us. We got, we got that down. Lots of scripture says that very directly. But he also knows everything about us everything about us from eternity past and first loved us. He gave himself for us in the person of Jesus Christ while knowing us thoroughly. You, know, you, you see, we, we, you see how, I mean, when he knows us, I mean, I mean, knows not like, not like you and your spouse know each other. Not like, not like two young people know each other who are getting to know each other. Not like friends know each other. Not like, even lifelong friends know each other. He knows us. He knows the sins we're going to commit for the rest of our lives. He knows every sin we've committed to this point. He knows our thoughts. He knows our irrational thoughts, <laughs> our reactive thoughts, our, our, our negative thoughts, our darkest thoughts, our, 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 our happiest thoughts, our our uh, perhaps arrogant thoughts, our overly ambitious thoughts, our, our, our thoughts that are too optimistic or pessimistic. He knows everything, everything about us. Weaknesses we don't know. I thought since I'm a cancer survivor, stage three colon cancer survivor, as many of you know, if you've been listening from 20 years ago, my 20th year anniversary is coming up, God willing. And I'm so excited about that and thankful for his grace and mercy and faithfulness. But as I think about that, you know, God knew that I was going to have cancer when I was born. He knew before I was born, he knew in eternity past for all of eternity past. And yet I didn't know till I went in for a colonoscopy based on virtually no symptoms or pain. Isn't that remarkable? And, and he knows everything about you, everything about me. He knows the, the, the challenges that we're going to experience, the, the victories we're going to enjoy. He knows the ups and the downs and everything about us. How, how is it? Just think about that. In that reality, why would we question how God could love us? And, and we think it if we don't say it, how could God love me? And the more years you get on you, more more years of seasoning, kind of the worse this becomes because you've lived a lifetime, regardless of when you became a Christian, you've still lived a lifetime of sin, of, of struggles. How could God love me with all of my imperfections? Well, I just think it's wonderful to think about his knowledge. His his love is very intentional. His, his love, mercy, grace, and all those things. His immutability, his being unchanging, his knowledge, his power, his essence, just gives me tremendous comfort. God's love is intentional, and it's predicated on and, and, and initiated by, if I can say it that clumsily, by him. 
we don't, we, we can't earn it. So anyway, at the end of our time today, we'll, we'll conclude that we can rest in, in God's knowing that this, this gives us comfort as we, as we trust him, that he knows our plans and, and his will is perfect and unchanging. He knows, listen to this, he knows all the alternatives. He knows the answer to everything instantly. He isn't surprised by initial additional knowledge like we are. He's far superior in knowledge to anyone or anything that we can imagine. He, imagine he has all knowledge at all time and he's timeless. So he's all over the time. He did, he's not smarter today than he was 2,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, a billion years ago. And he won't be any smarter, have any more information or know about any other alternatives that develop over the next billion years and beyond. It, it, it's really interesting, this, this, whole, this whole attribute of God, this knowing, knowing or, or God, God's knowledge, the knowledge of God. Well, when we talk about this, we're really talking about God's omniscience, the actual knowledge of God. God is all-knowing. This, this makes him incomprehensible. It does. I, I know we can, we can kind of taste it. We can kind of see some of this we can comprehend. But he, in, in the whole, he is incomprehensible. There's nothing that God does not know. His knowledge is infinite. And it's infinite at, for all of time. God especially never learns anything from us. Sometimes we pray like like we're informing God, like, hey, here's what's going on down here. Wouldn't this just change our prayer lives if we really understood this, if we really practiced this? God already knows everything. The purpose of prayer is not to inform God. Although it's good for us, it's healthy for us to, to cast our cares upon. The scripture teaches that we should, we should do that. We should share our cares with him, for sure. But but that is not in an effort to inform him of something he does not know. Nothing, nothing suddenly occurs to, or, or as we sometimes say, dawns on him. He doesn't, he doesn't have the, the, the kind of that, the, like we have the, the palm on the forehead moment where, we, oh, I got it now. Nothing catches him off guard. He knows all things in advance. There's a beautiful passage that you've probably heard me reference from time to time. Romans eleven thirty three to 36. Listen to this. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known, and that's that word gnosko again, the mind of the Lord. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Then there's that familiar section at the end of Romans 8, verses 37 through 39. Know in all these things, and you, you know these verses, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
parenthetically, I would add, because of God's attributes, including his knowledge. His knowledge is part of all the other attributes. And all the other attributes are part of his knowledge. That's the the, the, the thing, when, when, when we say God is of one essence, that's what we mean. We, we've discussed that for a while now. We can't separate his knowledge from his love, immutability, grace, mercy, power, supremacy, and so on. Paul understands this, and we can, you can see that in those two passages I just read. Both God's knowledge and, and Paul's knowledge of God were necessary to inform his, his writing. In, in this epistle to Rome, at the church at Rome, uh, as, and that's also true of everything else that he wrote. Well, there, there are just some truths about God's knowledge that I want to talk about, and I'm only going to talk about a few of these, but, but he has perfect knowledge. It's, it's interesting when we talk about the, the, the Father, God the Father and God the Son, that, that is difficult, that theologically speaking, to to understand and, and challenging for me to talk about in any detail on a podcast episode. But, but I, I will say this, the, the father and son are each fully, truly, completely God. And Jesus Christ was also completely, fully, truly man. But we see their unity and, and, and that's an important thing to understand in Matthew 11, verse 27, all things have been handed over to me, by my father and no one knows that's epignosis that the detailed knowledge with wisdom and discernment no one knows the son except the father and no one knows also epignosis the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him and then we see in another passage second peter 1 starting in verse 2 may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge that's epignosis of God and of Jesus our Lord. And it goes on. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge, epignosis, again, of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire the pattern in this text that that we see very clearly is that our knowledge is referenced as gnosis g-n-o-s-i-s but the knowledge or wisdom given to us by god is referenced referenced as epignosis now that's that's not always the case sometimes god's knowledge is called gnosis but here it's not so our acquisition of general knowledge leads to our full and thorough knowledge with discernment. And I think that's some of the nuance of the use of language in, in these passages that we just read. Galatians 4, 8, and 9 is just a beautiful passage you're probably familiar with. Formerly, when you did not know, that's that word ido, the, the, the lightest form of knowing, just the perception or awareness or, or seeing, uh, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know, that is Gnosko, God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? 
you know, so, so the, the entire Godhead has perfect knowledge. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He, he knows himself and everything outside of himself perfectly. Isn't that amazing? Perfectly. We don't do that. We don't know ourselves perfectly. Look at Isaiah 46 just for a second. If you're driving, I can read it to you. Uh, you don't, it's not necessary for you to look. Starting in verse 8, Isaiah 46, verse 8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Listen to this. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Boy, is that not omniscience? Knows everything. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. God's knowledge makes the end and the beginning, antiquity and the future, the same. It's just, it's just amazing to think about. Another point I'd make is that his knowledge is immediate. He knows everything immediately, simultaneously. And I, even that word immediate doesn't mean anything with an eternal God who isn't bound by time, does it? He doesn't have to calculate to know the bottom line. He doesn't have to hold on. Let me think about that for a minute. He knows everything at once. He knows the process. He knows the end. He knows the means and the end. He never forgets. He doesn't recall some things more quickly or know things more better, more better, better than others. It's just really challenging for us to grasp even part of this. We already talked about several passages, but there's, there's another one in Isaiah 40 verses 13 and following. I think it's just 13 and 14 maybe. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel, whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? We, nor any other entity or person outside of God, gives God knowledge. God does not need to, the way, need to know the way of understanding from some other party outside of his own essence. God's knowledge is is exhaustive. He knows, he knows the smallest detail. He numbers the stars, the hairs on our head. A.W. Tozer said, God knows all that can be known. God knows all causes, all that is, all mysteries, all enigmas, all, all feeling, all desires, every unuttered secret. That makes me shudder. Because God knows all things perfectly. He knows no thing better than any other thing, but all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised. Hmm. Psalm 33, 11, 10 and 11. Look at this. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Later in that chapter, verse 18 says, The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. You know, his, his knowledge is, is penetrating. It's, it's thorough. He sees what no man can see. 
our facade, our masks, our walls. If you've ever had any therapy at all from a psychologist or psychiatrist or trained counselor, you know that they'll talk to us about our facade or the brick walls we build or the, or the masks we wear. They're, they're not challenging to God, are they? He sees through us perfectly and has perfect knowledge about us and loves us, loves us anyway. Well, there, there's all sorts of scripture we could read. Psalm 139, I would commend to you. It uses the word yada again and again. Uh, o Lord, uh, Psalm 139 starts, O Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know me when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And he goes on. Later he says in verse 17, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. That's your, your has the idea of your, that word thoughts, your thoughts, purpose or aim, your purposes. If I would count them, they're more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. And he goes on. There are so many beautiful passages that we could consider later in that same chapter down in verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. There's that word yada. Try me and know my thoughts. The word thoughts is interesting. It has the idea of anxious thoughts. Know my anxiety. Try me and know my thoughts. You know this verse. You've memorized these probably. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous or wicked, hurtful way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That word everlasting has the idea of both, both ancient and, and, and forever. You know, there's another aspect of God's knowledge that I think we often think of when we think of his knowledge. And that is future knowledge. He knows the future. We've already kind of talked about that. In Jeremiah 29, verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Isn't it comforting to see how God's knowledge, His power, His grace, and so on, work together in the fulfillment of, the fu- of, of Scripture? For the future he knows what is and reality and all possibilities of all other things as well we don't often think about this but god has the knowledge of all possibilities if a, if another the, the if another path had been taken knowledge and and you know my math friends engineering friends and so on you'll, you can relate to this can can you just imagine all the combinations and permutations of all the decisions that get made in the world and God knows all the outcomes in advance, but also all the other potential outcomes. That, that's, yeah, scripture even talks about that in Matthew eleven twenty one. It talks about it several places. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. I mean, that, that's, a, that, that's just a, a, a lesson that is being taught there, but you get the idea. God knows all the 
the possibilities. Yeah, it's really interesting how I mentioned J.I. Packer's book earlier, and we'll close with this. That the more complex the object, he says, the more complex is the knowing of it. In other words, knowing a person is more complex than knowing a house. Knowing God is, is most complex. Th- this is just a, a, a worthy journey. I want to read this to you from Jesus' high priestly prayer. Listen to this in, in uh, John 17, verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And here it is. And this, verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, Gnosko, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you've given, you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This knowing God is just beautiful. It's a lifelong pursuit. I would challenge you to do so. God has revealed himself to us in Scripture, through Scripture. What a, what a, what a beautiful thing that he has he has given us the disclosure that we need in, in Scripture. So, so this, this is, is knowing God. This is the knowledge of God, uh, both our knowledge of his omniscience and our actual our knowing, knowing him. There's a, there's a point of application here. There's so many. But this, this doctrine of Coram Deo, this Luther's way of saying that we live our lives before the face of God, it's really the big idea of Christianity. The, the core, the essence is to, is to live life as if we're living it before the face of God because we are in the presence of God with that awareness is the, is the notion. This is living life under the authority of God to the glory of God acting under the grace of God. It's a, it's a pattern that is the, the same throughout all of one's life. We, we kind of treat it like we're behaving and performing for an audience of people. We, we think there's a secret segment of our life, but there's not. And I believe the key for this, the key in changing our perspective is to, is to understand who God is, to know scripture. There's just some beautiful scripture that we could talk about, but I'll, I'll leave you with this. Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the ways you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. This love that God has is, is in spite of all the things you think of when you question it. It's more powerful than you can imagine. God's knowledge of us, of everything about us, of how the world works. And can, can you just imagine it? So this study is, is so worthwhile, and I would encourage you to do it. I hope this has encouraged you. This understanding God's attributes can be intimidating, but, but, but it's also just so encouraging to know who this great God is. It puts things in perspective for us. It enables us to love it enables us to see the world more clearly. It shapes our worldview. So I hope you'll like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, as you know by now. Go to johnwarrenmedia.com for more information on our work. Look for our company, CFS Financial, on one of the tabs there. Feel free to send along an email to john at 
www.thebigfaith.com. I look forward to being with you again next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren. Thank you.